0: Amen. As the kids are making their way out, you can remain standing for our scripture reading today out of the book of 2 Kings. We're going to be in 2 Kings 22 and 23. I'm going to read just a portion of chapter 22 for us today. So let's hear God's Word. And Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. He reigned 31 years in Jerusalem, his mother's name was Jedidiah the daughter of Adiah of Bozcath he and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the way of David his father and he did not turn aside to the right or to the left go into verse 8 and Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord and Hilkiah "'gave the book to Shapan, and he read it. "'And Shapan the secretary came to the king "'and reported to the king, "'Your servants have emptied out the money "'that was found in the house "'and delivered it into the hand of the workmen "'who have the oversight of the house of the Lord. "'Then Shapan the secretary told the king, "'And Hilkiah, the priest has given me a book, "'and Shapan read it before the king. "'When the king heard the words of the book of the law, "'he tore his clothes.' And the king commanded Hilkiah the high priest, and Hakim, the son of Shaphan, and etc. all these people, <laughs> Achbor of Milkanah, and Shaphan the secretary, and Isaiah the king's servant, saying, verse 13, Go inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of the book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us, Because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. Amen. You can be seated. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for uh, your word and thank you for uh, the power it has in our lives as we pray so often. God, we uh, admit that we neglect this, your holy word, far more often than we should And so we thank you for opportunities like this to come before it and to let your word speak by the power of your spirit uh, into our lives. God, may these uh, moments that we share together in front of your word and before your word and submissive to your word, God, may they be moments where you uh, are working to transform our hearts to make us more like your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. Well, tomorrow begins a new year, 2024, and uh, statistically, about a third of you are making resolutions about next year. Uh, statistically, about a third of Americans set resolutions, younger generations more than uh, the, the, the generations ahead of them. Uh, some 50% of people, 18 to 29, will set a resolution uh, for those of us in the 30 to 44 range, it drops down to about 44% and kind of keeps going from there. I'm not sure what it says uh, about people in uh, young. Maybe we're just really optimistic. I don't know why the, the, the differentiation uh, in ages, but uh, we, some of us make resolutions. And, and I want to ask, why, why is that? What is it about a new year that, that kind of culturally we've put, to, put together this idea of a New Year's Resolution? Uh, I think for many of us, it, uh, the new year represents a fresh start. It's an opportunity to think about, as you turn the page in the calendar, or just scroll down the calendar, whatever we do on your calendar, that it's a, it's a new beginning. It's a new start. And so in the new year, how do, how do you want to live? What goals are you setting? Those are the kind of questions we're asking when you set resolutions. We all all feel the brokenness of the world we live in and the brokenness of our own lives. And so looking to a new year is an opportunity to say, uh, how can we do this better? We can imagine there there is a better way. There's something that didn't go well this year or this decade or whatever it may be. And we're looking ahead saying, I can imagine a better way forward. And so we set some kind of resolution, some kind of goal, some kind of plan so that in the new year we can overcome it. You may have been discouraged by... By previous failings of New Year's resolutions, maybe you're not as likely to make one, and that's that's totally fine. I I, I think resolutions aren't necessarily one way or the other, biblical or unbiblical, but the idea of a fresh start, that is a biblical idea. The idea of new beginnings and new life, these are biblical themes worth considering. We all know we need change. Our lives, we we feel the, the brokenness, the world uh, doesn't know what it comes from. We know biblically it comes from our own sin. We, we feel that the need for change, and so the fresh start at the beginning, that's a biblical concept, and the Bible tells us that change is possible. For the month of December, we've been looking back at Old Testament kings who ruled, first and second kings ruled during the, the time of, of Israel, and once the nations were divided to Israel and Judah... And we look, we've looked at a handful of kings as they pointed forward to the coming king at Christmas, the king of kings, Jesus Christ. So we started with Solomon, we looked at Hezekiah and Rehoboam, but I saved this king for today, for New Year's, because of the way that he brought in a fresh start, a new beginning, a new slate. And as you look ahead to, to 2024, to a new beginning, whether it's a, by way of a resolution or just, just by being biblical, uh, the, I, I wonder if there's something we can learn from this moment in history about what a new beginning looks like and where it comes from today we 're looking at the best last king or the last best king of the nation of Judah, King Josiah and King Josiah was notable for a number of reasons I, mean, I picked him for it because of the way he, he this remarkable change and reformation that happens during his time, but he was also perhaps the single best king in all of Israel's history. You think back to to Israel, think of David being the kind of the, the cream of the crop, but here we have 2 Kings 23, 25 summarizing his reign this way. It says, before him, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. So this, this, maybe this, this was you know, emphatic in its language, but it's clear there's been nobody like this. This is a standout king for the way that he turned wholeheartedly toward God. That's quite a statement about him, especially when you consider the generations that came before him. Read, you should go back just a few chapters, and some of the very worst kings came right before this one. Josiah's grandfather was a, nam, a man named Manasseh, who might have been the very worst king the, the nation of Judah ever had. His idolatry was so rampant that he adopted practices from other nations where he would sacrifice people. It was one of the only times in, in Israel's history where they caved to such an awful practice, putting a, his, one of his children on an altar. This was a terrible king. His son, so and, and to make matters worse, he reigned a really long time. He reigned 55 years. So 55 years for the nation of Judah under, are under a horrible king. His son becomes king, Amnon. Thankfully, he only reigned for two years, but he was equally as wicked as Manasseh. And after two horrible people comes a man named Josiah. And another reason he was notable is that he started very early. Perhaps you heard that in 2 Kings 22, 1, the very first verse, Josiah was Eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. For reference, my son Micah turns eight in March, and I, I love Micah. I don't recommend that as an age to become king over, over anything, really, especially a nation. The, an eight-year-old king uh, was, was quite remarkable. We, we get a lot of the stories of the kings show up in both kings kings. And, and the Chronicles. And so when we turn over to Chronicles, we realize, or we, we get another detail there that says in the eighth year of his reign, so by the time he was at the wise, wise age of 16, uh, he began uh, some reforms. It says he began to seek God. So I don't know what influences he had in his life because it wasn't his dad and it wasn't his grandfather that were godly influences. But by the age of 16, he is already seeking God and seeking to lead the people of Israel. Back to the Lord. For almost 60 years, the, the nation has been running away from God. And now at the age of 16, he is leading the nation of Israel back to the Lord. So then when we get to the 18th year of Josiah's reign. So now at the very wise age of 26, he's begun another series of reforms that follows a pattern of, of a king that had come before him. Jehoash back in 2 Kings 12. And they realize that if we're going to be the people of God, we, we got to worship in the temple of God. And the temple, anytime God's people strayed from God, they let the temple fall apart. And so Jehoash and now, now Josiah, they're saying, hey, all the money that's been given to the temple should be used to help keep up the temple. So he begins the process. He sends, ba- sends in the high priest. He sends a secretary. He says, guys, look, we've got to make this place better because we've got to come and worship here. So pull together the money, call together contractors, start the work, start the renovation. Let's get the temple back up to where it's supposed to be so that we can worship here like we should. In the case of King Josiah, as he in the middle of this big restoration project, this big renovation project, something amazing happens that becomes a, a kickstart to the rest of his reign, to the rest of his life, to the rest of his ministry. They make a discovery that would change everything. And I, and I can't help, maybe it's just, maybe some of you, too, have watched too many HGTV, you know, home renovation, fixer-upper-type projects. But I, I'm sure the temple restoration looked nothing like an HGTV program. But that's what I have in my mind as they are beginning to put this thing together. And so this moment, this crucial moment, I, I just picture it like, you know, how sometimes it's the, it's the, it's the wife who's the homeowner on destruction day when they're, they're, they're you know, tearing things apart for this major home renovation. And she's been given the sledgehammer to like knock out the drywall, even though she's never really done a whole lot. And she gets to like make the big mess. And I imagine that she, she knocks out this big drywall spot and this big thing falls down. And the camera doesn't show you what she sees, but it sees her face light up. And then the camera zooms around to all these people and they're pointing like, do you see that, do you see that? And then it goes to a commercial, right? And you gotta wait. To see what was it that they saw was so amazing. I'm sure it was way less dramatic than that, you know, not, not like that at all in the temple. But they make a dramatic discovery as they are restoring the temple. And what they find is the book of the law. They find the book of the law. Verse 8 the king's secretary says, or, or this, uh, the, the high priest says to the king's secretary, I have found the book of the law. In the house of the Lord. And I appreciate the very next thing that happens. When the secretary Chapin got it and says, he read the book. That's a good next step, right? I found the book, I read the book. That's good. The secretary uh, then immediately goes to the king and he reports back to the king, we've been doing all the things you told us to do. We took the money that had been given. To the temple, we've been restoring, we've been getting things back up and going inside the temple. It's going great, but you should know we found something, and we found something really significant. Except for this time, he says, uh, the high priest has given me a book. He doesn't tell him what it's called in this time. He just says, he has given me a book. And then again, he does the wise thing, he reads the book. They find the book, and he reads it to the king. And as soon as he reads it to the king, the king's life is going to be changed forever. What, what was this book? He simply called it the book of the law. Well, the phrase the book of the law is only used a couple times in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy 28 and 29. And there it's a reference to those writings within the book of Deuteronomy. So we probably think this, what was found, this scroll was probably either the entire book of Deuteronomy or a, a pretty significant section of Deuteronomy. And when Josiah hears it, it's clear he's never heard it before. This is brand new information, 18 years into his rule as being a king over the nation of Israel. So it would be like a president, well, presidents can't reign for 18 years, but being well into their, their elected time in office, and then somebody saying, hey, we were doing some work over at the Library of Congress, and we came across this document. I don't, I, you've probably never heard of this. It's the Bill of Rights. Have you ever read this, Mr. President? And be like, no, I've never heard of that. Like, it would be shocking to us if the president hadn't heard the first 10 amendments given to the Constitution. Like, he should read that. That's important. And here's Josiah, a faithful king, a king who is seeking God, and God's people have been so far from him that they lost Deuteronomy. <laughs> they, haven't, they didn't have it. Josiah did not have the book of Deuteronomy, before this moment. God's people had really gone astray if they had lost a book of the law. That's how far they are from him. But the good news for Josiah and the people of his day is they did find it. And when they found it, it changed everything. It brought a dramatic change to their lives and to this whole Reformation project they were working on. And so as we look ahead to a new year, you look ahead to 2024. My invitation to you is to what, same as, as what King Josiah did all those years, years ago rediscover the book. Rediscover the book. Whatever resolutions or plans you may have for the new year, uh, I just imagine you, you commissioned somebody to help you with those plans. So perhaps you, your, your plans, you know, around fitness, and so you send a friend to the gym to go get the information about, about what the membership's going to be, maybe even to sign you up. Or maybe you sent your friend to a, a travel agent and say, hey, we, we've got our plan in 2024 is to, to make a, some travel plans. So you send a friend there. Or maybe it's financial. You send them to a, a financial advisor. You've, you've sent your friend out to go run an errand for you for this new plan. But that friend comes back and says, yeah, yeah, I've been to where you, you sent me to, to go, but I came across a book, and I read it, and now I want you to read it. Yeah, you had this plan. Here's the idea you were chasing, and it's good. It's valuable, but I got a better plan for you. Read the book. I found it. Now, I encourage you to read it. Whatever else you accomplish in 2024, I invite you to rediscover the Bible, rediscover God's Word. You may or may not be be super familiar with the Bible. Perhaps if you've Growing up in church, perhaps you know it well. Perhaps you just kind of know some stories from people telling you. Wherever you may be in knowing God's word, there's an opportunity for you as long as the Lord continues to tarry and to give us life for us to rediscover, to dive deeper into His word. What would it look like for you to truly discover God's word in the new year? Perhaps you've read it many times. Perhaps you've read it just a handful of times. There's an opportunity for us to step Forward into the new year, into the Bible. For some, getting to the Bible can be just overwhelming. I mean, it it is a big book after all. You know, if you printed it on normal paper and normal um, spacing like other books, it would be massive, right? We publish the publishers make it a manageable size, but there's a lot of words in here. It's a big book, and it's a very old book. For some, as you read it, even with a modern, good modern English translation, it can be confusing and hard to comprehend. Others don't know where to start and have never really kind of dove in for themselves. So, I, just real simple, real practical, just to kind of get us, you know, a, a, a foothold in the day, I, I want to encourage you to take some really practical steps like being a part of a discipleship group or some other form of community where you're in the Bible together. In the Bible together. If you're going to discover the Bible and really dive into God's Word, it is so helpful to have other people around you doing that in. Community, and we do that in some sense here in Sunday mornings. This is what we do when we gather around the same passage. We practice expositional preaching. I expose the Word of God to you. That is gathering around the book together, but also in smaller forms in reading and discussing and dialoguing about the Word. Be in community. One of the best ways to understand the Bible is to be able to read it and then talk it through with other faithful Christians. Rediscover the book by doing it in community, and rediscover the book by starting small. Oftentimes, the worst New Year's uh, resolutions are the ones that are so far out in front of you as a goal that it's almost impossible. You know? I'm, I'm going to train for a marathon, even though I've never ever run, you know, or something. Like, don't set the crazy, do, do a couch to 5K. You know? like set, set a reasonable goal. So with the Bible, start small. If you haven't read, if, maybe you, you want to read the whole Bible in a year. It's a great plan, great idea, highly recommend it. Maybe just commit to read John in January. You could do that at one chapter a day, five days a week. You'd finish it before the month is over. That's a great and obtainable goal. Finish that one, keep going. You keep going at that pace, you'll read the whole New Testament in a year. Set a reasonable pace of something you can handle of diving into God's Word. Read it in community. Start small. And then I got this from Nathan. Focus on consistency over completion. Focus on consistency over completion. Focus more on habits than on finish lines. What happens with resolutions or Bible reading plans all the time is that you make this plan. So, okay, I'm going to sit down at my kitchen table every, you know, five days a week, 6 a.m., and I'm going to read a chapter a day. But then you fall behind for a couple of weeks because you get sick or go on vacation or just get distracted or whatever. And at that moment, what do you do? When you're behind on any resolution but Bible reading for this moment, what, what do you do? You've got, you got a few options. One, you can scramble and catch up right? Just cram a bunch in and catch back up. And that's great. You can, you can do that. Or you can just get totally frustrated and to ditch the goal. I, now you think my goal is unattainable. I was going to read John by the end of January and I got to read 47 chapters. No, there's only 22 in there. So. I'm re- I got to read 21 chapters in one day and I'm never going to make it. You can just ditch the goal and just give up on Bible reading. Or you can say hey, it wasn't really about the finish line. It's about the habit. It's not about completion. It's just about learning a new habit and just start today Amen. just read today just read a chapter today and then another chapter tomorrow just start small and keep going and when it gets dry and i'll tell you if you haven't been reading the bible for long there will be a time where reading the bible gets dry show up anyway Amen. show up anyway keep reading anyway it won't it won't always be lightning bolts and rainbows and thunderclouds every time you open the Bible. Just keep reading. Stay in God's Word. Read it in community. Start small. Focus on habits. Keep going even when it gets hard. But let me be honest with you. Those four little practical tidbits probably aren't going to change your life. They're probably not going to change your heart. They're probably not the things that's God's going to use to grab a hold of you. They might help you. hope it helps you. But it's probably not the thing that's going to grab a hold of you and change the way you live in the next year and for the rest of our lives. Practical steps are helpful, but we need something different than just a few life hacks. We need a few, few more than just setting a schedule. The only way we're really going to be changed by God's word is if God so grabs our hearts that we see how important it really is you will make time and develop habits and rhythms and routines for things that are important to you. You can't live without sleep. And though some of us try to squeeze our life into having as little sleep as possible, God eventually gets my attention at some point, and I just fall over asleep. I can't help it. You can't live without eating. You find a way to make food fit in your life. And if you continue to view the Bible as a non-essential thing, then it will not fit. But if God changes our hearts and see, you begin to see His Word as that important, it will change you. Let me, let me show you this in, in Josiah, not, not just in my own you know, thoughts and reasoning here. When Josiah hears about the Word of God, when he hears the book for the first time, what, what does he do? Verse Verse 9, he says... Uh, the, the king comes, I mean, the, the servant comes and reads it to him uh, or, or gets it in verse 9, verse 10. He reads it to him in verse 11. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. And if you aren't familiar with Bible language, like why, is, why is he tearing his clothes? You get to verse 19 and, you, and the, the prophet that they go see interprets what that means. She says to him, because your heart was penitent and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard how I spoke against this place, Etc., I, I have heard you. you. It said, You torn your clothes and you wept before me. I have heard you, declares the Lord. This was a sign of repentance, a sign of saying, Woe is me! A sign of saying, this, this has got his attention. And she tells him that your life is spared. Destruction is coming, but your life is spared because you, you heard the word of God. That is to say, for Josiah receiving the word of God, was not just a matter of, of you know, good military strategy or, or this is helpful to me. It was a matter of life and death. His life was spared because he received the word of God. Destruction was coming, but, but the prophet tells her, tells Josiah, you're not gonna die in the destruction's coming because you have heard, you've received the word of God and repented. This is life and death. We we um some of the guys we went to a, a men's conference last fall. And I think this is where I got this, just to give credit to that. He, he said, Re- reading the Bible is not like taking your multivitamin. Like we, t- I take a multivitamin most days that I remember, and it's, it's valuable, right? Like, I, I, the, the science tells me, if I don't get enough vitamin C and all these things from my diet, it cannot, you know. So, taking this vitamin helps me. But you know what I feel like after I take my multivitamin? Exactly like I felt before I took the multivitamin, right? It makes, I, I have no... No noticeable difference in my life that I don't feel it for whether I took it or not. So if I skip it for a week, if I skip it for a year, honestly, I don't really know any different. I'm just paying some company to put this whole thing because, you know, whatever. I don't feel it. It's good. It's valuable, but I don't feel it. Reading the Bible is not like taking a multivitamin. The Bible is not just the thing that fills the gaps that your other nutrition from other places didn't quite fill in, right? That, that's how sometimes we treat the Bible. Like, okay, I didn't really know what to do in this situation, and I, I had this gap in my information, and so i got to go find the Bible to fill in the gap. I didn't get enough vitamin C, or it's winter, I'm wearing long sleeves, I don't have enough vitamin D, so I need some Bible. That's not the Bible. The Bible is like oxygen. It is the air we breathe. John 15, Jesus says, "'I am the vine, you are the branches.'" Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing? You can do nothing? Yes, apart from Jesus, you can do nothing of eternal significance. You always say, well, okay. I mean, there are non-Christians all around the world raising families and building businesses and making money and doing all these things and inventing gadgets. Great, and God's given good grace for good things to happen. But eternal things will not happen apart from Jesus Christ a, a life that bears fruit and actually leads to things that are eternally significant and eternally different only happen to those that are attached to united to abiding in Christ and how do you abide in Christ you abide in his word you abide in the scriptures Jeremiah 9, God says, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. How do you know what God cares about? How do you know God? How do you have a relationship with God, knowing His Word. Psalm 19:7. the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. It's breath. It is oxygen. It, it is the water that the plant is drawing up through the roots, in, out of the vine, into the branch. The only way you can have life is by abiding in the Word. Whoever abides in me, he it is that bears much fruit. If God's Word is a vitamin to you, you'll take it some days, you won't take it others, and don't really feel any different. But if God's Word, if knowing God, and and to be clear, you can can lose your Bible and still breathe today. It's actually about knowing God through the Bible. It's knowing Jesus, having a relationship with God. And the primary way He has given to us to know Him is through the Word. I'm sure others have said this, but I read it from Dane Ortland, He compared Bible reading to inhaling and our prayer to exhaling. That's oxygen. I'm breathing in God's word, and I'm praying back to God, expressing back to Him as I have just taken in His word, now I'm praying prayers back to Him. That is the life breath, the communication of our relationship with God is Bible intake, Bible engagement, and praying back to God. When God's word gives you breath, you hold on to it, you enjoy it, and then you share it back to the Lord in prayer. My invitation, my challenge to you in 2024 is to rediscover the book. Rediscover the book. Take whatever practical steps you need to take to make that possible and to fit into your life and schedule, but it's only going to happen if you know that this is valuable. This is life-giving. This is where you come to meet the living God. And when Josiah met God in the Word, it changed everything. It had a dramatic impact on his Life. Already we read in verse 11 where he tore his clothes. In verse 19, where the prophetess says, you know, called that repentance. So Josiah, I want you to see, if you rediscover the word of God, if you rediscover the book in 2024, at least, at least two things are going to happen. At least two results are going to come. The same that came to Josiah. The book leads to repentance. If you rediscover the book, the book leads to repentance. Josiah tore his clothes in anguish. He humbled himself, knowing he and the people of Israel had messed up and messed up big time, and so they repented before the Lord. They came before the Lord and said, This, how we are living, is wrong. When you read it when I say rediscover the book, I don't just mean that you go and you hold it. And say, I got it. I found it. And I don't just mean that your eyes, you know, skim across the words to it. To discover it is to, to begin to to marinate in it, to abide in it, to begin to allow God's word to soak into you. And one of the ways you know that the word, you've really understood what's here, is you see the holiness of God, the grandness, the majesty, the wonder, the perfection of God. And when you see how great He is, we respond as King Josiah did here, or as Isaiah did in Isaiah 6, and we say, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips which is to say, I'm a sinner. The way you know you're really reading is you go, whoa, I don't, I don't match that. I don't meet that requirement. I don't meet that ethical command. I don't match the glory of God, my sinfulness in view of God's holiness. There is a massive chasm here. And we repent. We say, I don't, this isn't how things should be. That's how you know you're really reading, is you repent before the Lord. Surely King Josiah, at the wise age of... 26, who'd been leading his people in faithful, faithful obedience at this point for some time, could have read the words of the law and said, you know, I, I didn't know this was here. I, you know, it's not really my fault. Manasseh, that, you know, my jerk of a grandfather, he lost this thing probably. It's not really my fault. And I've been basically obeying it. So, yeah, I'll do a better job now. Thanks for the book. Right? He would, we, if we had read that, we'd have been like, okay, he probably has a leg to stand on. He's been doing a good job. But he doesn't. He reads the word of God and immediately is tearing his clothes in repentance, saying, I, I'm a sinner. I am a sinner. We are sinful people, and we need to repent. One of the sure signs, again, raise my hand, is the one that does this, of not listening to the word of God, is being defensive, saying, I got this. I'm okay. Or at least the things I've messed up have very good reasons for them. A the sure sign of listening to the word of God is repentance. One of the ways you know you've truly met God is we repent of our sins. The Bible has a whole lot to say about what it means to follow a holy God, which means the Bible, as you begin to work through it any kind of fashion, any kind of, if you're going to read any section of Scripture for very long, you're going to come across God's Word speaking into all the intimate details of our lives, the ones that you want Him to speak into and the ones you don't. You're going to find things in there about your money, you're going to find things in there about your. Your marriage, you're going to find things in there about how you raise your kids. You're going to find things, as God challenges you, about what your priorities should be as parents, about how we as children treat our parents, no matter how old you are or your parents are. You're going to find things about, about the way you treat your stuff, the material stuff of the world. You're going to find things about what the biggest problems in the world really are. And then you're going to have to look in the mirror at your own pride and say, this is a huge problem in me. You're gonna have to deal with stuff, so be warned. I'm just this is your warning. I challenge you. Be in the Word of God, but be warned it's you're not always gonna see pretty things because you're gonna see yourself and your sin, but it is good. It is good to see it and to repent of it. The only way to repent of sin is to start by seeing it for what it is, and then to have the humility to say it's better to get rid of it than to be blind to it. Repentance is one way you know you have rediscovered the book. You've rediscovered the Word of God. There's at least one more way Josiah shows evidence of being in the book, and that really comes in to start into chapter 23, the next chapter. After he hears from the prophet in chapter 22 and chapter 23, he gathers all the people together. He's like, all right, this is too good to keep together. So he starts with the leaders, he gathers all the leaders together, but then eventually says, all the people, both small and great, came together. As somebody who has a household of small people, I appreciated this. He gathered even the small people, small and great. Maybe it was about the stature, the, um, not the stature, but about you know, famous and not famous, important and not important. But either way, he gathered all kinds of people together to hear God's word. And what did they do? Verse chapter 23, verse 2. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that, they, that had been found in the house of the Lord. So again, got the book? Read the book. Got the book? Read the book. Third time that the book of the law has been read in these two chapters. The secretary read it. The king read it. Now the king's reading it to the people. And as they read it, they commit to following it. They make a covenant, a binding agreement, a promise before the Lord that says, I've heard it and I've not just heard it, but I want to follow it. I want to obey it. This was a a, a new leaf, a covenant renewal. There's some Big markers through the history of God's people where they say, we know we have sinned, we have messed up, and we are making a new commitment to the original commitment we should have made long ago. And here is a big one. They make a covenant to follow God's word again. And then they do it, like big time. Chapter 23, starting in verse 4 all the way to verse 20, is intricate details, explicit, very clear all, all almost too thorough you're like why are you giving me all these details about all the ways they were getting rid of idols you get city names and priest names and all kinds of things because Josiah is being super thorough to say when we follow God we mean it every hill every city every temple every place we are going to be about one God and one God alone you read through those verses you're like did I really, could, you couldn't have just summarized this for me? You know, whoever wrote this down. No, no, no. You need all these details can you, so you can see how committed the people were to following God's word. What they were doing is that they were living out what they had heard in a brand new way. So you might say it this way. The Bible not only leads to repentance, but it leads to renewal, to renewal, a new beginning, a fresh start, a fresh, fresh slate of walking with God. We, we like the, the optimism, kind of hope that comes from, 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 generally from being the New Year type thing. But this is more than just sunny optimism that Josiah had. He has heard it, and he is living differently because of it. And all the people are following with him. They're following in a new way to follow the way God called them to live. Only the Lord can bear fruit like this. Only the Lord can bring these kinds of changes in our lives. So as you rediscover the book, it's going to lead to to change in your life. It's going to lead to turning away from sin and begin to following Christ. And when you look back, you're going to say, only God can do that. Only God can bring that kind of change. Some 15 or a little less than about 700 years or so after Josiah, when Jesus came, we saw he was much like Josiah. He was a man of the word, was he not? Matthew chapter 4 tells of Jesus being out in the desert, being tempted by the devil. And how did he fight off temptation? But with the word of God. He did everything he said according to the will of my father who sent me. He was a man of the word. And he was a man who brought us salvation. King Josiah, after the reform led across the nation, we get one more description about how he led the people. Chapter 3, verses 21 and 22. 21 and 22 it says the king commanded all the people keep the passover to the lord your god as is written in the book of the covenant and then listen to how this passover the description of this passover verse 22 for no such passover had been kept since the days of the judges who judged israel or during the days of the kings of israel or the kings of judah that is to say it's not that passover hadn't it hadn't been kept since the judges but there had not been a glorious passover they had, not gone so, they had not done such a great celebration of the Passover. This was a, a Passover unlike any other. Like if you had a Christmas unlike any other, it's not to say you didn't have any other Christmases, but this Christmas was the best Christmas ever. Josiah was saying when he led the Passover, the people were like, now that was a Passover. Why was he so committed to Passover? And Why did he go so big? Because Passover was the way they remembered that God brought salvation. When you come in contact with the word, you recognize this is the God who saves me. This is the God who has brought salvation. And just as the book of the law was a, was a testimony of how God had brought his people out of Egypt, crossed over the Red Sea and into the promised land, he, and, and all, all by grace. They didn't do anything to earn that. And then he said, follow me. So it is with our salvation. Josiah only had Deuteronomy and backwards probably and some other historical notes throughout. But we have a lot more testimony of God's grace and His salvation. Just as God brought salvation to Israel by bringing them by, by grace out of captivity, so through that King of Kings, Jesus Christ, God has brought us out of captivity to our sin by defeating sin and death coming out of the grave. Just as Josiah came in contact with God's Word and proclaims the salvation to us, so King Jesus says, I am the Word made flesh, and I have brought salvation to you, and if you know me, you will follow me. If we know the Word of God, it leads to repentance, it leads to a renewed life, and leads to remembering our Savior and our salvation. And it changes everything. changes everything. Whatever else you're committed to in 2024, I invite you to rediscover the book. Rediscover God's Word. Be in God's Word so much that it is in you. And follow Him in faith and obedience. Let's pray. Father, thank You for giving us a book. May we be a people of the book. May we be a church of the book. May we be a people who are saturated with Scripture. God, may, may we think Scripture, meditate on Scripture, memorize Scripture, study Scripture. May we be a people who long to know the truth of Scripture, who long to know the God, you, our God of the Scripture. God, may we be a people who are devoted to the book. Father, we confess it has been far too easy to spend time on much less valuable things. We spend a lot of time on our phones, we spend a lot of time online, we spend a lot of time doing things that just don't matter, because it's easier. And so we pray that your Spirit would empower us to devote our lives to what really matters, to knowing you, to walking with you, to being transformed by you. God, in this coming year, may we be a people who are devoted to the book. God, thank you for the chance to be around your book today. And as we seek to follow you in the new year, I pray over our church family that we be a people who love you and love our neighbor, who love the nations, who love the needy, who love the widow, who love the orphan, because we love the.